Our scripture today comes from the book of Isaiah, chapter 40, verses 21 through 31. Do you not know? Do you not hear? Has it not been told you from the beginning? Have you not understood from the foundations of the earth? It is he who sits above the circle of the earth, and its inhabitants are like grasshoppers, who stretches out the heavens like a curtain, and spreads them like a tent to dwell in, who brings princes to nothing, and makes the rulers of the earth as emptiness. Scarcely are they planted, scarcely sown, scarcely has their stem taken root in the earth, when he blows on them and they wither, and the tempest carries them off like stubble. To whom then will you compare me, that I should be like him, says the Holy One. Lift up your eyes on high and see who created these. He who brings out their host by number, calling them all by name, by the greatness of his might, and because he is strong in power, not one is missing. Why do you say, O Jacob, and speak, O Israel? My way is hidden from the Lord, and my right is disregarded by my God. Have you not known, have you not heard? The Lord is the everlasting God, the creator of the ends of the earth. He does not faint or grow weary. His understanding is unsearchable. He gives power to the faint, and to him who has no might, he increases strength. Even youths shall faint and be weary, and young men shall fall exhausted. But they who wait for the Lord shall renew their strength, they shall mount up with wings like eagles. They shall run and not be weary. They shall walk and not faint. All right, I want to start this morning by maybe having you think of a rather unpleasant time in your life. I want you to think of the time when you were at your weakest, a time when you felt powerless in some particular way when you felt like there's nothing you could do to help yourself. And maybe you're here today and you're saying, that's me right now, Pastor Dave. You know, how'd you know? Uh, I hope this sermon is an incredible encouragement to you today. Um, but for lots of us, these times have come and gone several times, right? There, it's not just one time, but you can think of several times where you're at a really, really weak point. It can happen uh, when you encounter some sort of physical ailment, some sort of mental struggle. Uh, for some of us, it's an addiction. For some of us, it's severe grief and loss of a, a family member, a close friend. Lots of things can take us to the bottom. And let's be honest, none of us like feeling weak, Right? I don't know anybody that said, boy, I just really enjoyed that weak season in my life. Or maybe they got something out of it. Maybe they enjoyed the growth that happened in it. But nobody likes being weak. We would all much rather feel strong and capable of directing our own fate. And yet the reality of our lives is that we're all weak. Even during our strong times, we're only a phone call away, right? Only a moment away from just being a crumpled heap on the ground. That's the reality. That's part of the reality of what it means to be human, right? We are weak. You might say, wow, this is an encouraging start to the sermon, Pastor Dave. You know, I just love this. And, and that's the bad news, right? The bad news is that we are weak, but there's really, really good news coming behind that from our text today. And the good news is we have a God who's very, very strong, limitless in power. And get this, he loves to strengthen the weak. He loves it. And that's what we're going to be talking about here today. Um, we're in the season of Epiphany, of course, uh, the fourth week of Epiphany in the, in the church calendar. 
And Epiphany is all about God's self-revelation to us. He's, he's saying, this is who I am. And so we've been looking at these uh, various traits of God, these various markers that really set our God apart. And week one, we saw that our God is the God of the outsider. He loves to bring more people into his family, loves to include more people in his plan of salvation. That's just who he is. He's a God of the outsider. You know, and then we looked at um, the, the next week that God is intimately involved in our lives. He's an intimate God, right? This is really, really unique to Christianity. He's not some cosmic deity somewhere out there, but he's, he comes really close. He knows us every single detail about our lives. And then last week, Nathan did a great job teaching us, all of us, including the kids, that our God is a God who has the words of power, even over evil, right? He has complete authority and power, even over evil. And then today we see the God who loves to strengthen the weak. And in order to kind of wrap our minds around where Israel, the people of Israel, were at in our text today from Isaiah, maybe you can think of a time where you were weak in your life, but it was the worst kind of weakness because it was all your fault. Anybody have one of those times where you're like, yep, I was at the bottom, and the worst part about it was it was totally my fault. That's where Israel is in our text today, right? It's the worst. It's, it's, uh, it's self-inflicted kind of weakness. And, you know, the book of Isaiah can really be broken into three sections. Chapters 1 through 39, um, we see God giving warning after warning to the people of Israel. He's saying, turn. He's saying, repent. Repent of your idolatry. Come back to me. Or I'm going to allow your enemies to come in and to invade you and to take you off into exile. Of course, Israel doesn't pay attention. They don't listen, and exactly what God says happens in chapter 39. They're invaded by the Babylonians, and they're carried off into exile. This is the worst possible thing they could imagine. Well, chapters 40 through 55, the message really changes to a message of hope and encouragement. God's saying, look, I haven't given up on you. I'm I'm still holding fast to the covenant that I made with Abraham. And so he starts this chapter with comfort, comfort my people. Messages of comfort and hope, and that's where we're at today, that, that big, big turning point. And then chapters 56 through 66 are all about God keeping his promise to bring the people back home to their land in Israel, which actually happened in 539 B.C. So we're at this major turning point in our text today where the worst thing that they could imagine has happened. They've blown it. They've rebelled against God. Because of their sin, they've been invaded and taken captive as slaves, as exiles into, into the Babylonian Empire. And these people are down. They're out. They're discouraged. They feel depressed. And God speaks to them in the midst of this comfort and hope and that he hasn't given up on them. And I want you to see four things here about this God who loves to strengthen the weak. He says, first of all, that he has the power to strengthen the weak, which is really important. Then he says he sees and knows the situation of the weak. He's, he's not aloof to it. Thirdly, he loves to strengthen the weak. It's a passion in his heart. And then finally, we're going to see the one thing that he asks of the weak. So four things today. Let's start. First of all, God has the power to strengthen the weak. Look at verse 21. Isaiah says, Do you not know... Do you not hear? Has it not been told you from the beginning? Have you not understood from the foundations of the earth? So the section begins with four rhetorical questions, right? Have you, do you not know? Do you not hear? Has it not been told to you? And what he's saying here is like, look, since you were little kids, as, as Hebrew children, you've heard all the stories, right? You know all the things about this great, powerful God that he's done for the people of Israel, 
You know the story of creation, right, where God spoke, and just with his powerful words, he created everything. They know that, right? They know the story of Adam and Eve, how Adam and Eve uh, rebelled against God, sinned, how creation and everything splintered and broke. Yet God stayed with them. He didn't leave them. He wasn't like, okay, I'm done with you. He stayed in relationship with them. And since they were little kids, they learned the story of Noah, how God sent this powerful flood to wash the earth of its wickedness, and, and how God protected Noah and his family. So he's staying there with his covenant people. He's preserving his people through these, through these acts of wickedness and rebellion. And, of course, they had heard the story of Abram, how God had made a covenant with Abram that he was going to make Abram a great nation, that he was going to make his descendants like the stars of the sky and the sand on the seashores. And they learned about how that that nation was born in Egypt, how 400 years of slavery followed. They, They learned all about Moses leading God's people up out of the land of Egypt into the promised land. They heard about the 10 plagues and about God drowning the entire Egyptian army in the Red Sea. They heard about Israel grumbling in the wilderness, right? We just talked about this in the Exodus series. And how God could have easily said, you know what, I've had it with you. But he didn't. Instead, he provided for them manna and quail and water from the rock. He was faithful to them. And they could go on and on with stories like this, right? How they crossed the Jordan River at flood stage. Two million people crossed this river, and the waters were all backed up, and they crossed on dry ground. How they complained that these people were too powerful for them, and yet the conquest of Jericho somehow happened. You know, time and time again, Isaiah's like, you know these stories, right? You've heard these things. You've heard, you've seen how time and time again, when you were weak, God was strong. When you were unfaithful, God was faithful. Sure, they've heard. Sure, they know. But they needed to be reminded. That's what Isaiah's saying here. He's like, you need to be reminded that God has been powerful and faithful in your lives from the beginning that he's never given up on you, even in your own screw-ups, God is still there in the mix working to bring about your good. He's able to redeem you from the worst possible things. He wanted to remind them of all those things because God was about to do it again. He was going to yet bring them out of captivity, out of exile once again. And I just want to encourage you with this this morning. If if you happen to be in one of those times of weakness, even if it's a self-inflicted time of weakness like Israel was in, You need to be encouraged by what God has done in your past, right? So many times we're in those weak moments, we can only see like right in front of our face. We can only see that problem that's staring us right just so closely, and we can't think about anything else, especially not about the things that God has done. And this is a great reminder for us, like just listen to the words of Isaiah here. Haven't you known this? Haven't you heard this? Don't you remember all the things that God has done in your lives? It's especially important to think on those things during the weak times. So that's what Isaiah does first. After calling them to remember what they've known and heard since they were young children, Isaiah gives them three metaphors here, three word pictures or lessons to convince them that God has plenty of power to help them in their seemingly impossible weak circumstance. Look at these these lessons. First of all, a lesson from grasshoppers. Isaiah reminds them that it's Yahweh who sits above the circle of the earth, and all of its inhabitants are like grasshoppers, right? So just imagine for a second. Uh, Unfortunately, our kids aren't in here, but if we have some little boys in here, they would just love this illustration. But you, like, have a a patch of pet grasshoppers living in your backyard, and and let's say um, you were caring for them and making sure that they had plenty of grass to eat and those kinds of things. 
And then a group of slightly larger grasshoppers comes in and takes them over and says, all right, now you're going to be our slaves, and you're going to work for us. And your pet grasshoppers say to you, like, can you help us? You know, we're, we're really struggling here. These bigger grasshoppers have taken us over. And you know how grasshoppers can be various sizes. If you've ever caught grasshoppers, there can be small ones, and there, there can be those big ones with the wings. But they're still grasshoppers, right? Like, even to a kindergarten boy, that you'd be like, yeah, I can help you with that. I can squash those big grasshoppers. They're still grasshoppers. And that's God's point to them here is like, you realize these people that look super powerful to you, these people that have overtaken you and are holding you captive, they look like a bigger version of a bug to me. Like they're just bigger bugs. They might not, they, they might be giant and intimidating to you, but they're just big bugs to me. That's the first lesson he says. But then the second lesson is a lesson from plants. And we have lots of gardeners here in Life Church. Um, Life Church has actually had its own community garden for many years, and I love that. Um, but specifically, this is about, uh, you know, think about your garden in the early spring when the new shoots are coming up, right? And that's the example that he gives here. And in that time where you got these new seedlings, they're coming up, you're really babying the garden, right? You wanted to get moisture right because you can't dry them out, they'll die, but you can't have too much water to flood them. Uh, you're trying to keep the rabbits out. Oh, there's lots of work to take care of the garden at this stage. And God says, look, the princes, the kings of the earth, they're kind of like these new little seedlings, right? And his breath is like a hot wind. He's like, I can just blow on them, and they're toast. They shrivel up and die. That's how easy this situation is for our powerful God. And then, finally, he gives the lesson from the stars. Verse 26 says, Lift up your eyes on high. It's like, look up. Who created all these? And he's pointing, he's looking specifically at the stars, right? He says, he who brings out their host by number, calling them by name, by the greatness of his might, and because he is strong in power, not one is missing. Can we bring up that picture here, Garrett? Do we have that picture? Okay, so it looked a lot cooler on my computer. But this is one of the pictures from the James Webb Space Telescope. Okay, yeah, we'll get, we'll get the lights down for a second. But, Derek, are you able to zoom in on that picture at all? All right, no worries. So this looks like mountains, actually, but what this is is a, is a region of that, like, gives birth to new stars. It's a bunch of gases, and, like, we've never been able to see these stars before. But as you zoom in, you just see thousands upon thousands upon thousands of new stars, and it's actually uh, just incredible. This is 7,600 light years away from us, right? Um, you can go ahead and turn up the lights, Nathan. Uh, this, this area is called NGC 3324 in the Carina Nebula. Um, it's a young star-forming region. And if, you, if you've looked at this, uh, you know, some of these telescopes and things coming out, there's roughly 100 to 400 billion stars in our galaxy. And we now know that there are billions upon billions of galaxies with billions of stars in each one. And our text says that God calls them all by name somehow, like every single one of them. And Isaiah's point here is like, look, could it be that this God who knows every name of every star, billions of stars and billions of galaxies, could it be that he could be of some help to you? Could it be that your situation isn't out of hand to him? Could it be that he could possibly strengthen you? He has the power to strengthen the weak, friends. It's no problem from him. That's, that's the first point here. And the lesson from the stars, of course, leads us to the second point, that God sees and knows the situation of the weak. Look at verses 27 and 28. 
says, why do you say, O Jacob, and speak, O Israel, my way is hidden from the Lord, and my right is disregarded by my God? Have you not known? Have you not heard? The Lord is the everlasting God, the creator of the ends of the earth. He does not faint or grow weary. His understanding is unsearchable. So why do you say, O Jacob, my way is hidden from Yahweh? That's what Israel is saying. Like, my way, my, my life is hidden from him. He doesn't see it. He doesn't notice what I'm going through. He's, he's oblivious to it. That's what they're saying. But Isaiah's like, this can't be true because of what I just said, right? How could this God, who knows every star, calls them by name, the billions of stars and billions of galaxies, how could he possibly be ignorant of what's going on in one of his people's lives? One of the people that he's covenanted with. That's what Isaiah's saying here. It's like, this cannot be. And the sentence here, the word for Hebrew for right, where it says, my right is disregarded by my God, is mispat. And this word has to do with justice, legal matters, and judgments. And so this question here, the exiles think they're being treated unjustly. They're like, God doesn't see me. He's not doing right by me. He's not, he's not giving me fair treatment, which, of course, was a lie because God had warned them so many times. And then they just got what they deserved, right? But this happens to us too, doesn't it? When things go wrong in our lives, we encounter difficulties in places of weakness, it's easy to think or even say, hey, God doesn't see me. Uh, God doesn't know what's going on in my life. He's not tuned in. God doesn't care. I think it's so interesting, you know, Jesus in the storm, they wake Jesus up and they're like, don't you care? It's an interesting question for the Savior of the world. Don't you care? Anybody ever said that or thought that? Don't you care, God? Don't you see us? Don't you care? Nothing could be further from the truth. Verse 28 reminds us that God's understanding is unsearchable. Like he, he has complete and perfect understanding. We talked about this two weeks ago in Psalm 139. Like He doesn't just kind of know you. He knows everything about you. Every hair that's on your head, every thought you've ever thought, every word you've ever spoken before it was on your lips, he knows it completely. Every breath that you ever breathe, every day is written in his book that you're going to live. He knows you completely. And it's this God that says he can strengthen you because he knows your weakness. He has it in full view. Nothing is hidden from him. And if that weren't enough, you know, God actually became a man, remember. He came, became a man, so he doesn't just have this distant knowledge of you like, oh, yeah, I know kind of what the humans are going through. No, he became a man so that he could feel what it was like to experience your weakness. So he has this experiential knowledge of our weakness. The Bible says that Jesus was tempted in every way that we are except for sin, which is really helpful, right? When you think about, like, what you're going through to know, like, Jesus experienced this on some level. He gets it. Um, have you ever had a friend who's just had sort of a blessed existence and they've just not been through a lot? Nothing wrong with that, but they've just kind of not been through a lot of things in, in their life so far. And you're going through something really tough and they say, man, I know exactly what you're going through. And you're like, I don't know if you do. I'm not sure you do. You know, like, it's really nice of you to say that, but I don't know if you do know what I'm going through. Versus having a friend that you're like, they've been through this. They, they've experienced this pain. And they actually do get it. When they say, brother, sister, oh, I'm so sorry. I get that. Oh, man, that feels different, doesn't it? When you have somebody who really does get it. It's kind of like having a doctor. You know, you go to a doctor and you're thankful that that doctor 
um, knows something about the condition you have and, and is knowledgeable to treat that condition. But what about if you go to a doctor and, and they say, not only do I know how to treat that, but I've had that myself. I've been through that situation myself. Boy, is that comforting, right? God is the doctor that became weak so that he might know your weakness, feel what it was like to be in your position, and then help you out of it. God has the power to help the weak. He sees and knows the situation of the weak. And that brings us to the third point. God loves to strengthen the weak. Verse 29. It's what he loves to do. It's his joy. Uh, in verse 29, it says, He gives power to the faint. And to him who has no might, he increases strength. So having a God who's powerful enough to strengthen the weak is great, but it doesn't do anything if he's not actually willing to use his power to strengthen the weak. And so look at the good news here. The God who never grows faint shares his power with the weak. He gives power to the faint and increases the strength of him who has no might. So not only do we have a God who's powerful enough to strengthen the weak and a God who sees and knows the situation that the weak are in, we got a God that gets a charge out of this. He loves doing it. He loves lifting up the weak and the broken. I mean, that's, that's kind of his calling card. That's what he does. Think about the people that Jesus spent the most time with when on earth, right? Those are the powerful and the rich. He certainly didn't avoid those people altogether, but he spent the most time with the broken, with the sick, the weak, right? He touched the leper. He strengthened the, the legs of the paralytic. He opened the blind eyes. Jesus himself said it, remember? I didn't come for the healthy, but for the sick, God loves to strengthen the weak. And in your weakness, I pray that this is a great comfort to you. Whether that's now, the situation you're in right now, or you file this away for some time down the road, that you just know when you're in your weakness, God is not annoyed with you. He's not impatient with you. He's not wishing you were further along somehow. No, he loves to strengthen the weak. Psalm 34 says, The Lord is near to the brokenhearted and saves the crushed and spirit. Our God loves to strengthen the weak, which brings us to our final point today. The only thing God asks of the weak. Look at verse 30 and 31. Even youth shall faint and be weary, and young men shall fall exhausted, but they who wait for the Lord shall renew their strength. They shall mount up with wings like eagles. They shall run and not be weary. They shall walk and not faint. What a great passage, right? What a great refrigerator magnet verse. Um, and you might be one of those types of people that's, you know, you're a good Midwesterner. You're like, I, I would like to do something to help myself in this situation. You know, is there some way I can kind of cooperate with God strengthening me in my weakness? And, and I get that. I, I am like that too. I would like to pull myself up by my bootstraps. And the answer is, God says, here's the one thing you can do. Wait on the Lord. Wait on the Lord. And isn't that frustrating? You know, that, that just frustrates the DIY people in here. They're like, wait on the Lord? That sounds awful. Waiting, waiting in general is just so frustrating, right? It's just such a humbling and powerless thing. I mean, how, do you, how many of you like waiting on hold for a customer service rep? You know, that's why they tell you how much time is left in the queue because they, they either want to keep you, like, hopeful that it's only a couple minutes or they'll say it's like two hours to just get you to hang up. You know, like, that's, that's what they do. It's either, it's either such a short period of time or too long of a period of time so you can make your decision right there. But nobody likes to wait. Yeah, waiting, waiting gives us a sense that we're not in control. We're powerless. You're stuck in traffic. You can't just off-road your way to your place you're going. You're just stuck. 
Nobody likes being there. And I think this is what God loves so much about his people waiting on him is it's an admission. It's a big, giant admission of our weakness. It's, a, it's an admission that we can't do it on our own, God. We must have you in our lives. We need you. And God loves that. He loves that when, when, we're, when we know that we're in this place of need. Um, Oswald Chambers said, one of the greatest strains in life is the strain of waiting for God. Isn't that true? Um, it, it's hard work to wait, right? Like, it's not like you're doing nothing. It's a strain. You're, you're waiting on the Lord, and it's, it's this kind of active, uh, active thing that you're working towards. And Israel was certainly in this spot in exile. They were powerless. There was nothing really that they could do to kind of overthrow their captors. But waiting on the Lord was this, this constant thing of keeping their hearts in the right spot. And I wonder what it means for you and I to wait on the Lord today. Obviously, we're not in captivity like Israel was. Um, so our situation is definitely different. But in our weakness, what does it mean for us to, the wait, on, to wait on the Lord? What, what, what would be some of the markers that describe our waiting on the Lord? I, I came up with three things this week as I was really studying this text. And I think there's three things that, that really um, make our, our, waiting, our, our waiting on the Lord true. And the first thing is that we wait exclusively on the Lord. Waiting on the Lord means waiting exclusively on the Lord. You don't kind of wait on the Lord. Like, I'll wait on the Lord, but I'll kind of develop plan B back here. Anybody ever do that? You know, where you're like, yeah, it would be nice if God came through for me, but I've also got this other thing if that doesn't happen, right? Um, And so we wait exclusively on him. So waiting, it might be more about refusing to do your plan than anything else. Refusing to craft a plan that, that will work in case God doesn't come through. Refusing to say, I'll go over here to get my strength. And, you know, during this political season, I can just tell you, you're going to be tempted to go to uh, politicians, to go to a party, to say, this is where I'm going to get strength. This is, this is who's going to put things right in my life. You're going to be promised, if you vote for this person or that person, you're going to be powerful. And Christians just say, no, 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 we're going to wait on the Lord. That's where our strength comes from, right? Can we just admit, like, as a church, we really just need the Lord? Yeah, we're going to be involved in the political process. It's going to be a mess, it looks like. We're, we really just need to wait on the Lord. Like, God is the one who can strengthen us. Only he, just like Jeannie prayed. He's the only one that can really strengthen us. So we wait exclusively on him. But secondly, we wait expectantly. You know, waiting on the Lord that we see here in this text, it isn't just kind of a throw your hands up and like, well, whatever, I can't do anything else, so I guess I'll wait on the Lord because I have no other option. And it's just kind of a miserable, like, I doubt anything good will happen. No, it's an expectant, hope-filled, faith-filled kind of waiting on the Lord, right? They're expecting that God, the powerful God who's come through for them in the past, will come through for them again in the future, so it's kind of like if you're ever left home as a kid alone, maybe with your siblings, and you're a younger sibling, and a fight broke out. I don't, maybe this didn't happen for anybody else, but this happened in our, our home. You know, and maybe you, you uh, were the younger sibling, and you got in a fight, and you got pounded on by your older sibling. Well, at that point, you have a couple of choices. You can try to bring about justice for yourself in that moment, which is not going to go well, because you already got pounded once. Or you can wait for mom and dad to get home. And then you can tell them and show them the marks and you can bring about justice for your older sibling that way. So it's an expectant kind of waiting, like just wait till dad gets home, right? You've heard that before, right? Just wait till I tell them. 
And, and so you're not waiting with like this, I, I don't think anything's going to happen. There's an expectant kind of waiting. You're confident that help is on the way. But thirdly, and I think this is probably the most important piece of this passage because it's brought out so clearly here, we wait refreshingly. And I don't have a better word for this, but this is how I think of it. Um, we wait refreshingly. While you wait, uh, the text is actually clear. You're not just energized. You're not just strengthened after the waiting period is over, but you're actually strengthened throughout the waiting period because you're getting connected to God, who is the source of your life, right? So there's a refreshment. There's a renewal that happens even in the waiting time. It's not like the waiting time is just, you know, you're just in the basement digging holes. You're actually being refreshed as you wait on the Lord because he is your source of life. Um, you know, it's kind of like going to one of those really nice car repair shops. Um, my kids have actually started asking, can, can we come with when you get the oil changed out? Because they have cookies and they have TVs and they have pop. And, and so you're waiting, yes, but it's a refreshing kind of waiting. It's like, yeah, maybe I'll, I'll find something else wrong with the car next week so we can just go in and wait for a while for the car to be done. Um, it's, it's, it's a refreshment kind of waiting. And the text says here, but those who wait for Yahweh shall renew. The Hebrew word there is yahalapu, their strength. And this word, yahalapu, has various meanings, including passing something on or exchanging or renewing. So we could say then that what's happening here is you and the Lord, as you're waiting on the Lord, are linked up, and some of his strength is passing to you, and some of your weakness is passing to him. Um, anybody ever donated bone marrow? I was reading about this this week. Um, what a cool thing, honestly, that you could donate your bone marrow to help save someone's life. Like serious uh, blood cancers like leukemia, people have to have bone marrow transplants and donors, or they, they die, Right? And so I was listening to this pastor talk about his experience with bone marrow transplant. And it's kind of like that because he said, look, going to donate bone marrow is a surgical process. You get general anesthesia, you're put under, and um, they take some of the bone marrow from your hip. And it takes about 20 days-ish to be totally back to normal. But he's like, it's nothing compared to, you know, like you're saving someone's life here. Like it's really, really an amazing thing. I hate to talk about the pain at all that I was saying because it's a wonderful thing to do. But I thought, well, that's kind of interesting because it's like that, right? You're, you're linked up to God in such a way that um, some of the, the donor's strength goes to the patient. And some of the patient's weakness goes to the, the donor. But the only, th the only difference is God has so much strength, our weakness doesn't phase him at all. It doesn't, like, take him down to, like, 80% for a while. He can handle it, right? So we wait refreshingly. It's not this awful thing that we got to wait with the Lord. It's like, no, the Lord is our source. And so even in the waiting, you're refreshed. Charles Spurgeon said like this. He said, would you lose your sorrows? Would you drown your cares? Then go. Plunge yourself in the Godhead's deepest sea, be lost in his immensity, and you shall come forth as from a couch of rest, refreshed and invigorated. Ah, I love that. That's the promise of today's passage. As you wait for the Lord, as you plunge yourself into the Godhead's deepest sea, you'll be renewed so that you can soar on wings like an eagle, so you can run and not grow weary, you can walk and not be faint. And, of course, I don't know where this message finds you today. Uh, we're probably in a zillion different places here in Life Church. Um, maybe you're here today and you're not a Christian. Welcome. Thank you so much for being here. We want to tell you right up front that waiting on God is at 
the center of what it means, at the center of the message of, of the Christian hope, right? Because we believe that we were so sinful, so broken, so lost and destitute that we had to wait for a rescuer to come from outside of our world to save us. We were in that bad of shape. Like, there was nothing we could do to save ourselves. There was nothing we could do to improve our situation. We just had to wait for a rescuer to come, and then he did. Finally, he came. 2,000 years ago, Jesus Christ came. He lived the perfect life that we could never live. He died the death that was meant for us, and he rose again from the dead on the third day to conquer Satan's sin and death for us, to give us spiritual strength, to give us spiritual renewal. Not only that, when he ascended to heaven, he gave us his Holy Spirit to give us spiritual strength to live as he's called us to live. And so if you've never received that good news, we would just say, the one thing you don't want to do is wait. You know, today you don't have to wait for that. Come to him. There'll be people up here to pray for you. We would love to introduce you to a life of discipleship following this Jesus who will strengthen you today. For those of you who are believers, um, you know, like I said, the, the, the message is, is likely hitting us all at different places and points. Some of you maybe really needed to hear this today. Others of you, you'll file this away for later use um, at another one of your, your weak points where you're feeling really weak. My prayer for you today is that whether that time is now or down the road in the future, you'll remember this one thing, that God, the God you serve, loves to strengthen the weak. If you really believe that, you won't run from him but to him. And especially in your times of, of self-inflicted weakness, where you've sinned, where you've messed up, and you're weak and you're broken and it's all your fault, just like Israel was in that spot today, it's so tempting to run away from God, right? The last person I want to see is a holy God when I'm in that, in that condition. The last person I want to see is the God who's completely perfect. And yet God says, I love to strengthen the weak. I love it when you come to me like that, when you come broken and humble, and I can't wait to lift you up. He's the lifter of our heads like Jeannie prayed. My prayer is that we would run to him today. Amen? Amen. Let's pray. Father, we thank you for this text. We thank you that you're a God who loves to strengthen the weak. The weak is us. Help us to see that in ourselves, Lord. Help us to be able to admit it. Um, there's so much about admitting our weakness that we don't like. We don't like having to be humble, but you say that you resist the proud and give grace to the humble. And so we come to you today, Lord, humble, asking for your grace, asking for your power, asking for you to strengthen us today in our weakness. We love you, Jesus. We thank you for your sacrifice. We trust you. It's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen.